A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hello, you're very welcome along to this week's episode of the Group Chat Podcast. I'm joined by my fellow news correspondent, Richard Chambers. Hello. And political correspondent, Gavin Riley. Hello there. And we have another member of the group chat this week, the Finance Minister, Pascal Donoghue. Hello to you all. Hello. You're busy here, week. You're here you. forever now. You're stuck. You're one of us. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it has indeed been a busy week and uh, very, very busy last few days. And uh, this is the kind of latest part of my efforts to explain the budget and answer your questions. Okay, well, you're the first minister we've had into the group chat now, so no pressure. Yes, I wonder what does that make me? Does it either make me uh, brave or very naive? But time will tell. I'll be banging at the door now. No, about 15 minutes, I'd say. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Look, we want to begin by this was the cost of living budget, Minister, and, um, you know, the measures in it are to help people over what is a very difficult time. Some of the criticism around the budget is that it doesn't have many long-term effects in terms of actually changing people's lives. What do you say to that? Uh, That the mixed budget is a mixture of things that we're going to implement within 2022 that we're hoping we won't have to repeat in the future if things improve from an energy point of view. But alongside that, there are a number of measures that are permanent, that are funded, that I'm confident we can maintain. For example, the changes we're trying to make in making childcare more affordable. Uh, the changes that we're making in helping those who are on a normal wage not have to pay the higher rate of income tax. Those are the measures that from a cost of living point of view, we will be able to maintain around 2022. But it is the case, Sara, that there are some things uh, that we're going to put in place for a number of months and review where we are after that. And hopefully we'll have seen a change in conditions. Is the renter's tax credit one of those? No, that's for going to this be... year and for next year, that's not recurring, or at least not yet. Well, uh, when you're bringing anything with regard to tax, uh, the most indication you ever give that it will be in place for three to four years for any new tax measure. And I don't see the changes that we've made in the rental tax credit as being one off. Uh, and uh, I would hope we'd be in a position to continue that for years to come. So it's one of those cases where you think it's going to be recurring, but you just don't announce it yet. Uh, And the reason, it's a little bit more than that. When you bring in something new, uh, you go through a formal process where you review after a number of years, has it met the objectives that are there? And the rental tax credit is firmly in that territory, which is why it's in for 22, in for 2023 and beyond. And then as with every tax credit, you assess how it's performing after a few years. Just one tax credit, I think, that is quite close to my heart, actually, and I'm sure it's a lot of people will have been speaking to you over the last while, uh, is about the lone parents um, tax credit. So obviously this is a group which is more at risk of poverty than almost any other in our society. A lot of lone parents have been on to me over the last day or so, and they say, well, how come other tax credits and how come other allowances have been boosted to insulate people against the cost of living when this group, this marginalised group, which is more at risk of poverty, hasn't seen theirs rise in the same way. And in fact, in material terms, because of inflation, is now worth less than it was this time 12 months ago. Because if this is a cost of living budget, you are meant to be protecting the most vulnerable in society from the worst impacts of it. So how how do you answer to that? Well, I look at the budget uh, overall. So what we do when we release our budget is we test that against an independent model of how progressive it is. So have we given the most to those who have the least? 
and by that measurement, this is a really, really progressive and fair budget. Those who are on the lowest income have received the largest amount of support. Uh, but that being said, I do fully appreciate uh, that when you are a need and deserve particular forms of support, support from the state, and that doesn't change, of course it raises questions then regarding why haven't you changed a particular mm. payment. But the challenge with a budget overall is you you can't do everything. You still have to make choices. And for example, it's one of the reasons why there's a double payment there in relation to child benefit. It's one of the reasons why we've tried to change things uh, like the working family payment. It's one of the reasons why we've maintained the energy credit on three separate occasions up to early 23 to provide and try to find other ways in which we can help people. On the energy credit, I mean, people like Michael O'Leary only a couple of weeks ago were saying, well, why are millionaires like me getting this? Why are people up the Vico Road and, you know, on Shrewsbury Road getting the same amount as people who are at risk of fuel poverty? Like, why is there not a targeted approach to that? If you're putting so much Sorry. towards that, like, so how, I, I haven't done the sums, you're the man with who does the calculations. <laughs> how, much are, how, how much in energy credit are millionaires getting versus, you know, how much money could have been saved there and put to better use? Because, I mean, you've even, I know over the course of the day, people are pointing things like the Greyhound Racing Fund was getting more money at a time when you are seeing, you know, people who are at risk of fuel and food poverty. That jars with a lot of people. But we're facing a broad economic shock. Uh, Zara opened up this by saying this is a cost of living uh, budget and the reason it's a cost of living budget is so many are feeling the impact of the cost of living. So we're facing a broad, big economic change. And when you're doing that, it is appropriate uh, that you have some broad measures in place. But that being said, the premise of your question is still right. Should everybody be treated the same? And that, again, is why you have to have a look at the budget in the round. Yes, it is the case that the universal uh, energy payment is universal. Everybody receives it. But there's lots of other things that we've brought into the budget that are tailored. So, for example, if you're at risk of fuel poverty, you get an additional payment there, which Michael O'Leary won't. If your um, income is below a certain level and you qualify for support because you're a carer, you'll get additional money, which Michael O'Leary won't. And it goes back to the point we made earlier on, and I'm not picking Michael O'Leary out here, and I know, you know, not... not Regular listener, yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm sure he is. Great chat, super fan. I'm sure he was just on Insta watching the I'm fumes sure there was. a few moments yeah. ago. Sure uh, but if you go back to the test that we have of the budget overall and its fairness, those who were on the lowest level of income within our country did receive the most from the budget yesterday, which they should because they need it, they deserve it and they'll need it more as the year goes on. Well, they do get a lot of it, though, this side of Christmas because there's a lot of lump sums and mm. double payments that you've out sure. on some of them already. But then when it comes to the new year, there are no more double payments planned, at least for now. There's no more lump sum payments. And a lot of people on weekly social welfare, the most vulnerable who are reliant on the state for their income, are getting €12 Euro per week. Now, objectively, that doesn't help them keep pace with the inflation as it stands. If you're on unemployment benefit, that's going to be something in the region of about 5 or 6% more for your unemployment assistance which is far less than the 9% inflation. And arguably, lower paid people on lower incomes have even higher inflation than that because the cost of essentials has gone up by more than 9%. Sure. So it is kind of arguably the case that when it gets to the new year, those people are objectively going to find their standard of living falling. Well, the middle part of your question is completely, completely correct that the lower your level of income is, the harsher inflation is on your standard of living. Uh, you're correct in saying that. But what we do have to at the same time is recognise that we're in a really uncertain environment. If I had came out yesterday on Budget Day with 
Minister Michael McGrath and said, we're going to provide all these additional payments and we're going to make them available month after month for the next 12 months. I'd be facing other questions then regarding can we afford it? Is that sustainable? How can you guarantee you can do it? And as Minister for Finance, the last thing I want to do, because I've been through this cycle before, and God knows your viewers and listeners have been as well, is bring in changes that it turns out you can't afford and you have to reverse them with all of the consequences of that. But don't which we know is, that we which can't afford what we'll, what we, we, we what, can't afford what we'll do we, then we is we'll, 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 just, we'll just review where we are on these things at the end of February and see if further changes are needed. But can you tell them that the when can you tell them that this isn't the rainy day when you when you voted in the Dáil on Tuesday night to set aside two billion in the rainy day fund for 2022 and four billion for next year, and that's four billion that you could have used even a bit of to increase welfare not by 12 euro but maybe by 15, and it might have made that bit of difference for people. But the reason for that is it's a long-standing critique of our economy that we use tax revenue that we're not sure we'll have in the future to fund spending that we want to keep in the future. And in my lifetime, in my political lifetime, I've went through the consequences of what happens when you run out of tax to be able to fund the public services and the payments that people have a right to expect year after year after year. And with the corporate tax that we are receiving, which has made a big difference to our national finances in recent years, I'm just recognising here that there could be a risk that it mightn't be around forever. And if we want to fund things that we need, that people have a right to expect, it's better to fund that out of tax that we're confident we're going to be able to collect in the years to come. And let's say, Gavin, we get into the situation that you're talking about. We hit March or April and things are even more uncertain. They're even more worse. And we're dealing with the living standard issues that you've correctly raised there. Well, our first port of call then at that point will be the, the surplus we still expect to have and we'll assess where we are then at that point. I believe we'll probably be bringing in new revenue, new tax revenue from the energy sector, either through participating in the EU-wide measure or we might do what we might do here at home and we can fund things so, then. So there is a prospect that a windfall tax or something like it could ultimately be used in the early part of the new year if the need arises to yeah. go and increase welfare further. Well, but this but depends the on the decision made on Friday in Brussels. Yeah, so just to deal with the two other things, the Maybe two things. Explain to people how yeah, that works. Exactly. In a, in a plain yeah, no, exactly. Yeah, no, I'll do my best there. Yeah. So uh, the two different things that are at play there. I mean, we've brought measures in that are going to last, um, in many cases, to the end of the year, for some up to February and March, and uh, I hope that will be enough. I hope that will make a difference, but we're in such an uncertain environment. We'll have to review where we are at that point then. Uh, but six months is as long a planning period as I think it's safe to use with everything that's going on. So to deal with the question there from Zara there, one of the things that we will have to look at is we do have some parts of the our energy economy that are going to earn an awful lot of money because the price of some energy has gone up, but their costs of supplying that energy haven't changed. That's not fair when you've lots of your viewers working in companies and working for employers who are worried they mightn't be around in a few months' mm. time because the price of energy has gone up. So given that we're a small open economy, um, the best way for tackling an issue like this tends to be as part of the European Union. And as Zara said to me there, there's a meeting happening on Friday to see can that be agreed. Mm. And if that can be agreed, because the energy market is so complex, I'd expect then that it will take a few months to roll that out and Ireland would want to be part of a solution like that. But if that can't happen, I said in my budget day speech yesterday, 
then I would then bring something forward. What was the changing point for you? Because it was known and it was sort of reported that you were against um, any sort of major windfall tax on the profits of energy companies that would... I think the view that was expressed from from your perspective was that it would unsettle investment in the country. What changed for you that made you actually yeah, come around Yeah, two on that? things developed across the August period. The first one is the price of energy began to go up with a, at a rate that was so much faster than what we were seeing earlier on in the year. And that then meant that the gain that some energy suppliers were going to receive later on this year and in 2023 was massively larger than I would have expected it to be earlier in the year. And then the second thing that happened is just a question that's our but to me then, which is the fact that the EU were going to consider a measure that would be EU-wide. And I'm always a lot more confident about being an EU-wide measure uh, because it's a lot more stable, it's a lot more certain. And let me just bring that to life. So at the moment, we have seven different auctions taking place around our country for new sources of when wind generated energy. Mm. And that's going to really matter to Ireland in a few years time to make us safer. So we're not importing energy from other parts of the world. But I think this could be the next source of how we can grow our economy and how we can become a different economy in the years to come. It's safer to tax that if you're part of something that the EU is doing all across the EU. And the development of something like that was an important development for me. What do you make about what Keir Starmer um, proposed yesterday? A sort of a great British energy company. You've seen other companies in Europe do this as well, nationalising, whether it be you know gas and oil refineries in Germany or EDF doing more in France. Is that something we could do here? I'd be reluctant to do it because you just moved the risk of all of that yeah. right onto the balance sheet of, your of our taxpayers. And we're really fortunate that we still have the ESB and we still have existing semi-state companies that play an important role in our energy sector. They really, really matter. Uh, some of the examples that you're referring to there are particularly driven by what's happening in the price of gas. That is a far bigger problem from some other economies than it is for the Irish economy at the moment. Just on that note, and I know Zara's got some other questions, so later in a second, but you just mentioned that we already own the likes of uh, ASB or, or Borgosh Energy. Could you not direct companies like that to try and make sure that they only operate on a sort of a not-for-profit or a break-even basis instead of sure. making some profits that end, end up getting paid back as dividends to you and then possibly return to us? Yeah, but if you look at the ESB, so the ESB is a massive employer. If you look at the ESB and the point I made a moment ago, so uh, not to go on for too long, what do I want the Irish economy to look like in a few decades' time? Part of that answer is, is I want Ireland to be an exporter of clean energy. I think it's a massive opportunity for our economy and for the people of Ireland. I see ESB as being central to a lot of that. And in order to do that, it requires billions of the money that they generate to be reinvested back. And that's why the idea of giving them a particular direction or saying they can't earn dividends is something that could undermine our ability to do that in the future. Um, you think it's one of those seed potatoes arguments that if you take the money off them now, it could handcuff us. Well, the but there's a balance to it, Gavin. I mean, the balance is, is on the other hand, um, if they are generating money they didn't expect to be generating, then they should return a higher dividend back to the state. But the idea that some are saying that you should be, you know, coming down like a, like a, you know, saying to ESB, you can't generate any money. Uh, you can't be uh, generating any return. Well, that may sound really attractive in the here and now. I believe what they are doing will be at the heart 
of a very different economy for Ireland, not just for our children, but for us in our lifetime that we will need from a climate change perspective, but will also need from a security perspective. Oh, I want to get to some of the questions that we didn't get to on the live in a moment, Minister, but I kind of think it's important because we've talked about this on the podcast in the last couple of weeks. And I think to say it to your face, I suppose, not just as a representative of the government, we have had conversations here because we feel like we hear from people that people like yourself, ministers are somewhat disconnected from reality or maybe yeah. you're disconnected from people. And I, you know, I, do you think that's a fair comment? I mean, do you think sometimes maybe there is a bubble, they call it the Leinster House bubble or the government buildings bubble, that maybe there's a little bit of a disconnect between between decision makers and the people? Sure, look, I can understand why uh, many would make that claim, given all that we have gone through, given what we're going through at the moment. Uh, but you can't be a TD representing a constituency and not be fully connected into what people say to you. I represent the constituency of Dublin Central. I've been had the privilege now of representing them over many, many years in, in the Doyle. And I hear at first hand uh, the challenges that people are going through in their daily you, lives. As a person, does it make you kind of sad sometimes to hear those stories? Because I, like, as journalists, we hear them and I have to say some of them will break your heart. The reality that people are going through at it, the moment. And you think, how could this happen in such a, a rich country in so many ways in 2022? Does As a person, does it does it get to you sometimes when you hear the struggles that people go through? Uh, absolutely, it does. And if you ever get to the point of uh, of being a politician, that you're not moved by individual stories of difficulty, then you have to question why you're doing your job. Um, as one of our poets, poets once said, you know, too much sacrifice can make a stone of the heart. Uh, but if your heart has become stony to details of individual difficulty, then you have to question what you're doing. People probably the, think that the, you struggle to have empathy for it, though, when they know that your salary is a matter of public record. They'll know that you're on a salary, something in the region of 160 or 170,000 euros. So you don't feel it as personally the same way as your constituents would. Uh, but then again, it's the constituents that make the choice whether they want to elect me or re-elect me. And I would hope one of the reasons they've decided to elect me on many on a number of occasions rather than many is because I do serve them and I do represent them within the constituency and I'm regularly made aware of the challenges that so many have. But the challenge in what I do is that, of course, I hear so many different competing needs and demands that are always rooted in really understandable individual needs. But you have to reconcile all of that with the broader needs of our country and the need to keep our economy safe. And that is one of the tasks that falls to a Minister for Finance to try and reconcile it all. In terms of need, housing is obviously huge. Mm. How and why have you made it more expensive through the concrete levy to build houses in a housing crisis? Uh, because we had to find over €2 billion Euro to help rebuild homes that were affected by MICA. And what's fundamentally dishonest is to say that we can spend that kind of money and not have to pay for it in some way. Mm. Sometimes when I hear these debates and I hear people say the government needs to do X and the government needs to find the money, I have to make the point that the only money the government has is the money that we collect in taxes or we collect in borrowing that the people of Ireland then have to pay back. I, I don't have a pot of money that is separate uh, to the money that the country makes available to me. And any money that I don't spend isn't about a lack of compassion. It's about recognising that there are constraints on it. So the truth of it is, is that in helping respond back uh, to the needs that so many do have in making progress in MICA, which we have to, it's a very big financial commitment. 
And I made clear at the time we undertook that commitment that we'll have to generate money elsewhere to pay for it. We're nearly out of time, Minister. Just really quickly, I want a quick, quick answers to a couple of these questions. Uh, Orla is wondering, I stopped renting in July 2022. I moved home to save, which is a very common story. Will I be eligible for any of the rent allowance? If their landlord was registered with the PRTB and if and if your, your listener was paying tax, then almost certainly yes. And what the Revenue Commissioner will be doing in the next uh, few weeks is issuing the guidance regarding how it can be claimed. When does the tax cut-off point come into effect? Uh, for €40,000, it's from the 1st of uh, January. Okay, and... Can I, if I just ask one thing, just on, on, because it's something we have got mm. consistently on the podcast, is people who have had to move back in with their parents. Yeah. There's one couple in particular who were on to me only a couple of weeks ago, living in Galway City, which is having a huge rental crisis. Both of them are working. They've moved in with his parents and, and they're commuting in and out of Galway. Nightmare of a commute. Is there really anything here which actually fixes their situation? Mm. Because there's, there's incentives and there's subsidies to a certain degree, you know, you, the, the renter is tax credit. Absolutely. People welcome that. But it doesn't really make a fundamental change in how they are going to be living their lives. But the only fundamental change that we can make to that, that place, to that story that I'm so aware of is affecting so many is building more homes. And we are spending now over €4 billion Euro per year to try to do that. Yeah. And it's all about trying to get as many homes built as quickly as we can. But then again, that's just the, the concrete levy is why even TDs in your own party and in Fianna Fáil as well are saying, here, this doesn't make sense to us. Why are we making it more difficult then? Obviously, you, I know you're understand, You're making the point that you have to pay for the MICA situation, yeah. but it doesn't go enough of the way towards that anyway. And it goes back to the point that a lot of new built homes are so expensive that a lot of people can't afford them either. Yeah. So you've got a help to buy scheme that's really just kind of, you know, if you can't even make yeah. the, the base level to pay for a new home, it's probably not much good to you. But, but again, if we're going to be making commitments regarding spending many billions of euros to fix something we have to fix, what is more dangerous is to say we can do this mm. without it being paid for at some point in the future. And if we do get into the, uh, the, the paradigm of saying that we can take on really big financial commitments and not be open and not be clear regarding the fact that that will need to be paid for, that, that lays the seeds for something happening to our economy that will only cause greater suffering and greater difficulty in the years ahead. If you're not the Minister for Finance after December, is it your understanding that you could still be the president of the Eurogroup and not be a member of it? Gavin, I have been privileged to be in here to answer lots of questions that are at my pay grade. (laughs) But there are a small number that aren't. And one of those is what I do when. And to be honest, I'm more consumed by all of the different issues that you've that, raised that's with not me. Are you, allowed, that's are, you allowed, are, you, that, are you allowed to that, be the that, president without that, being a member? That you've raised with me rather than all of that. Those kind of questions can only be answered uh, when, you know, the government decides who's going to be doing what when. Could you and logistically that's a for the lads in the Eurogroup? My friend Michael's coming next week. Could you hand over the reins? Is that like I know that sounds a very simplistic question, but could could you actually oh, hand over you, the oh, reins? Oh, look, this, this Michael like that. This, this happens all the time okay. when governments and ministers change. Okay, but if that were to happen, uh, then there'd also be a change in the presidency of the Eurogroup. So it is important then. Um, and but again, this is one of these matters that the uh, party leaders have ample time to discuss and determine. And as I said, the only thing I've been focused on now for quite a few months now is trying to bring forward this budget because of the seriousness of all of the issues that you're raising with me here this evening. Okay, Pascal Donahue, Finance Minister, thank you so much for joining the group. Thank you. Was it as bad as you thought it would be? Uh, pardon me? Was it as bad as you thought it oh, would be? No, I always <laughs> expected in coming here that it would be demanding but fair and it certainly met that test. Thank you very much thank for you. joining us. 
A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Okay, well, thank you to the Finance Minister, Pat Kildonahu, for coming in to us. Um, He's obviously wrecked in fairness. Been a bit yeah, to be fair, yeah. In fairness to him. What did you think of that? Um, did you think there was... Were you, was anything that surprised uh, you? The Eurogroup question is not above his pay grade. Like, it's just not. Yeah. As, like, the, question, the question was about rules. I like, yeah, sorry, I don't, I don't care about the Eurogroup. I'm going to be blatantly honest. I don't care about <laughs> the Eurogroup. Thank you for piddling all over my question. last week, was like, this just does not matter. It doesn't matter. Okay. We're literally talking about a cost of living crisis. Okay. We literally have a real-time cut, mm. a real-time cut in uh, welfare payments. Because of inflation. Yeah, but yeah. I'm in the Leinster House bubble, so I care about this stuff. Uh, I was fascinated about the, the question about the um, his answer on the, the rainy day fund and like, you know, leaving four billion aside for some day that might be slightly rainier than this one, hard as that is to conceive. Yeah. Um, because I thought in previous interviews in the aftermath of the budget, he didn't seem too open to the idea of tapping that so early in the year if there's still an ongoing cost of living crisis. And to us there, he seemed to leave open the idea that, well, if you get to springtime, and twelve euro per week on welfare clearly isn't cutting it. Mm. That he did seem prepared to go back. Twelve euro is not a lot of money to survive it's on every week as a bonus, is it? I mean, like you're, it's being absorbed by the cost of living. Well, it is a cut, and like if you're cutting welfare rates, that's austerity, mm. is yeah. what that is. Mm. Like that's that's your technical terminology for it. So. I, I do find it difficult, um, given that it was floated, like there were figures floated around um, about what it would be, what the increase for core welfare payments would be in the run-up to the budget. 15 euro was seen as sort of, sort of something that would yeah. be close enough mm. to where and it would the, be. The, some people who were openly 20 bidding 20. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, That's what groups like Social Justice Ireland and um, SVP were looking for. So for it to be 12 euros definitely jarred with a lot of people yeah, well, that it was like, short. It's, it's one thing for, for outside groups like Social Justice yeah. or, or the SVP to be asking for 20, but it had been openly floated even by some within the coalition. There were some in the Green Party that were saying it has to be 20 euro because the recipients of it are the most vulnerable in society. They experience inflation more acutely than anyone else. And we have to make sure that they have like a floor that they can't fall under. And that's why it'll probably feel like expectations have been raised that 12 euro does feel like it goes mm. a bit under that and when you consider that in good in in better times where there was no inflation crisis at all you would still routinely get 5 or 10 euro per week on a lot of weekly payments to give them 12 when their costs are escalating day by day is going to feel to them a little bit stingy what did you think, Zara, about his answer to particularly to the listener questions yeah what did you think about that do you think he do you think he it's a tricky one to pin down on some things, like that. It, some things, that it yeah. doesn't feel like you have a right. Well, that, like you, you get that he understands the question, yeah. and you get that he understands the situation. And he made a point. He made he made a point of being like, well, I empathise, and you could not be touched by things. Yeah. But did he really get to? 
I mean, it's not going to be what a lot of people want to hear anyway. No, and I think there's some things that came up, like I was saying in the question box, the most common stuff that came up was like, my landlord is not registered with the RTB, so I can't benefit from this. This is like, totally, honest yeah. to God, mm-hmm. the single most common message I got was the renter's issue for yesterday for certainly people who follow us on social media was the biggest thing yeah. yesterday because a couple of factors, you touched on it there with the minister, people are of a certain age, they're renting, they're trying to save for a mortgage. This 500 euro a year is not going to move the dial for them in terms of their actual life. Like it's, you know, like, I suppose you can be blinded by a 500 euro cash payment in the immediate moment. But the truth is like, it's not really going to make a substantial contribution. It sounds nice, yeah. It's less than a tenner a week though. Mm. When you break it down. And, and the Threshold way that, even said like, it's seven days rent in a year in Dublin. Yeah, like, but, and the, the way that it's structured as well, that because, um, you know, a lot of students, this is something you addressed in your Instagram mm. Q&A with them before you came into us, that uh, a lot of students, their names are on the lease because they're the ones that are registered with the RTB yeah. in cases where the landlord actually is registered. Yeah. But if the student is having the rent paid by a parent then because the student is the name on the lease the student is the one who's entitled to the credit but if the student doesn't have any income the student doesn't pay tax credit, so they can't yeah. get a tax credit back. So basically yeah, the of renters yeah, yeah. including it. But then I had kind of said to him okay so sh- should the parents be putting their names on the tenancy sort of you know why wouldn't yeah. you then and he was like well, no 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 you shouldn't do that. But it was the same yesterday I asked Leo Varadkar about this because um, Joe our news editor and I were actually talking about this and we were saying you know, if your parents are renters, right? So, you know, adults, renters or whatever, and they've got adult children and everyone's living in the house together and maybe the adult children are giving mum and dad a few bob to help them with the rent mm. or whatever. So technically, they're kind of all adults mm. in what, for want of a better word, a house share situation, but the, yeah. albeit that they're related to each other and yeah. they're a family. And I was saying to Leo Radker, then can everyone in that house then benefit from it and he kind of laughed and was like uh, nice try no like it's yeah. you know it's only the people kind e- of just because the, the adult child's name isn't on the lease even if they even, if, even if they are contributing towards the paying of the bills like well yeah, yeah so I think when people go to sign leases they'll be putting making sure what names are down on the lease yeah. something to keep in mind now that this tax credit is yeah. available that if you are an adult in a house and you're contributing to the rent in that house your name should be on mm. the lease to ensure that you can get it you mentioned talking to Leo Varadkar that was where you spent some of your budget day how was it for you? yeah so I spent budget day um, mainly in the government press centre going to I've been to every department's post budget briefing at this point um, yeah it was fine I mean listen every minister comes out and says this is all the great stuff that we're going to offer you and um, you know look it's the thing about this budget is look you, you can kind of there's two sides of looking at it some people can say like look oh no matter what you give people they're always going to moan about it but I think the truth of the matter is like you know it is a cost of living budget like there's a lot of kind of quick fixes here that will probably help some people over really difficult times but like what it hasn't done is it hasn't moved the needle for people in terms of actually improving their life long term and it's mm. kind of like a lot of people have walked out of this without any sort of certainty or security mm. which no. is very unfortunate okay. actually because I think that's what people probably want which, which I think is actually quite remarkable because I was obviously covering events in inside the chamber and there were a lot of complaints about things that could have been included and weren't but there wasn't really a huge amount of substance to you are failing on this front whereas Richard you were in Buswell's in the usual spot where all the lobby groups and interest parties are there to offer their immediate the feedback. third house of the Oireachtas. Uh, well, yeah. But you, you got a very different experience of it than I did. Yeah, and like, okay, so for people who don't know Buswell's Hotel it's a hotel just across the road from, from the door from Leinster House and every budget day well, at least pre-COVID anyway you'd have all these interest groups and lobbyists and lobbyists. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a big spot even yeah. on non-budget days where you'd have meetings with politicians yeah. and business groups and all that sort of stuff. And even with constituents who'd come up to meet their local TDs and stuff. But 
for Budget Day, you have all these different groups, whether it's you know, farmers groups or employers groups. Vincent Paul were there. All these groups, even family carers, some of their most interesting conversations we had over the course of the day. We, I think we did. It's basically like speed dating. You have diff yeah. different groups mm. come up to you. And you're like, well, we have, well, here's our reaction. Here's our reaction. And you're trying to keep track of all the different elements. You're like, well, what was announced for them? What was announced for them? Yeah. Just the most interesting things that I sort of were hearing on it. Because when you hear about it, this is an 11 billion euro budget. And we actually, up until the day before, we thought it was a 10 billion euro budget. Mm. This extra billion is just mm. tacked on there. So you think this is going to be it's earth budget, shattering. It's actually two budgets. Yeah. Because it's next year's budget and a mini budget for the remainder of this year. Yeah. But you think when you see such a huge figure, like that's, a, that's, a, that's almost unprecedented in terms of overall figure, mm. you think it's going to be life-changing. Mm. And for a lot of people, they're going to come around once the winter is done. And even actually during the winter, because I think actually one of, the, one of the biggest sort of things which is stuck in my mind about this is that you have, okay, we're going to... In, uh, we're going to expand the amount of people who can avail of the fuel allowance because fuel poverty is such a huge, huge problem. Mm. And it's going to put people into the net who were never in the net before. And yes, they're not really going to get the benefit of it until next year. Mm. Mm. Until halfway through the winter. When the winter, which we're all freaking out about, mm. understandably. No, no lump sums in advance, no double payments for them. They, they get it in January. Make it make sense. Yeah. So if the government thinks that you're entitled to it now or that you're worthy of it now, yeah. but you're not getting it till January. In exactly. three of the coldest months of the year. Yeah, yeah. And I, just, yeah. I just think that the overall sense I got, and this isn't just even from groups like the SVP and from Alone, who of course um, advocate for older people, uh, is a sense that this is running to stand still. This is a real-time cut in some of the most important welfare safety nets we have there. And come January we're back to square one again. That I think is the real asset test of it because for even those who are most vulnerable and who will be getting double payments or, you know, double payment of child benefit or the Christmas bonus and a November double payment as well, mm. it, it's it's fine or it'll do its best to help them until Christmas. But then they'll get to New Year and that money will have been spent because life is expensive and they'll get to January Oh, and they'll well be living spent. off yeah. well very little spent. more. Like another thing I suppose as well that comes, um, we're almost out of time on this, but just, you know, today I was at the press conference for the health budget, you know, and so really welcome news that IVF is now being introduced in Ireland um, as part of the health system. We're kind of behind a lot of other countries mm. on this. This is really welcome news for, for people trying to have a baby. But the problem is that it's not, it's great that this is being announced, but it's not going to be available for the 12 months till September of 2023. And like Stephen Donnelly wasn't able to tell us today what the criteria would be for you to be eligible for that. Mm. Now, if you're a couple who's been trying to have a baby for a really long time and you know yourself you're at that very end of the road you do not have 12 months to wait for this yeah. so it's just really unfortunate um, he is saying that they might try and figure out something in the short term to help people who go private or whatever because they're obviously trying to develop the public system but it's just like all these budget announcements that as you say are pushed out for months and months and months people kind of you know it's it's kind of like people just feel really frustrated by that yeah. you need to be able to kind of access these things immediately I think is the is the main thing. But anyway, listen, we'll be coming back to it. We'll be monitoring how this budget is playing out throughout the winter. Keir Starmer has described, sorry, England's in rag order, rag order again. <laughs> Liz Truss. The neighbours are at it They're again. They're at it again. I she's mean, crashed the economy three weeks in. Keir Starmer says she's a danger to the economy. I mean, she's not long in this gig to well, be getting called a danger. He's not really, like, objectively, he's not really making it up because, okay, Keir Starmer would say that because he of wants course, to be in yeah, the job. But like, yeah. if you look at the a really good way of assessing whether people in the know think she's good for the economy is how much interest will they charge you to lend to your government? And based on what's been happening in the last week in Britain, the amount of interest that they're charging is loads to the point where basically Britain, you know, a bastion of the international financial order, the mother of parliaments, you know, some that bequeath its political system to the world, one of the traditionally most stable economies in the world. 
has basically just nosedived this week Richard, because of what the British government explain to us how this has happened and why are we at this point? Like, so la- last week, break it down. Last week, Liz Truss and her Chancellor Quasi Quarteng uh, uh, unveiled a mini budget. Mm-hmm. So we had our big budget. They had their mini budget. Was this their cost of living budget, effectively? Yeah, it kind of was. Yeah, it kind of was. was. It wasn't, wasn't very mini. Not yeah. very cost of living. It's not. No. It was the only people whose cost of living it was helping yeah. were the very, very rich people of yeah. the United Kingdom, and. So they basically unveiled a massive tax cut for the top, 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 top Mm -hmm. earners. Uh, They're the only ones who benefited. Like I saw the graph, it was basically nobody benefits and then the highest earners. That was a very Harry Redknapp top, 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 because basically only professional sports people will benefit from this budget. So bankers. The question was, how do you pay for giving such a massive tax cut to the wealthiest people in society? And the answer is we borrow loads of money. And the markets decided that this makes no sense. We're not, (laughs) this isn't going to work. Uh, so all of the investors, a load of investors pulled out of Britain. You had people, you know, basically betting on shorting the pound. The pound took an absolute tumble absolute to basically dollar. almost record levels yeah. Yeah. against the US dollar and the euro. Yeah. yeah. So it was worth a, a, a euro bought you 85p this time last week and now it buys you 90p, which mm. is a huge change in the course of like six days. That's, yeah. yeah. Ridiculous. Madness. The IMF. Oh, it came in remember, the boat. Do you remember, do you remember the IMF? The IMF? Yeah. Remember yeah. The IMF? No one ever wants to hear the term the IMF when the IMF is watching you closely and saying this is awful. But even like some you know mild mannered people like Larry Summers, uh, uh, formerly of the US Federal Reserve, saying this makes no economic sense whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Everyone around the world having a look at this and say this is absolute plunder mm-hmm. of the UK economy. And you have people who, who are like some. Of the, I think the most important thing to say about all this is that Liz Truss was warned about this mm. not least by people who are in her own party like Rishi Sunak who she beat to become mm. the next yeah. Prime Minister who says you're going to crash our economy and lo and, and behold and they had extensive debates where he said that he said you can't just borrow willy nilly to give tax cuts to our prospective voters or to the richest in the aim of apparently boosting the economy it literally doesn't work and it's not likely to work and, and this is what's kind of bewildering outside of Britain is to figure out well what is the logic here is it literally just buying the votes of people on 150 grand or more because they're the only ones who get a tax cut. The only possible economic logic that you can ascribe to this is, well, if rich people have loads more expendable cash, they spend that money and that's good for the economy. That's called trickle-down economics and it's been thoroughly debunked over decades. It, it literally doesn't work. You might as well, there's a tweet that's gone viral in the last couple of days which suggests, oh, I passed a homeless guy in the street and I wanted to give him a tenner. So I went to the nearest mansion and I put a tenner through the, door, the letterbox because the money will eventually make its way back to him. Mm. It's, it's, it's not how it works. But it's the only possible logic as an economic stimulus that you can ascribe to what's gone on, which is just just nonsense. She could be out in her ears, Zara, very, very I quickly. Just, I was just checking to see if she was actually running. <laughs> <laughs> Refresh Twitter. <laughs> just did a quick Google to be like, she's still knocking around. Is Liz Truss still the UK I mean, Prime Minister? But there's questions. That there's mm. been letters of no confidence have already been put in. Isn't you have. That, sorry, that's astonishing. What is she, three weeks in, is she? Three yeah. weeks in and 10 days and of that I, was national morning. I was going to say, by the way, she's really only been back to work about seven days. Yeah. Like, she got nothing morning, done for the first finished. fortnight. The funeral was Monday. Mm. Yep. Back to work Tuesday. I saw her out in New York on Wednesday. Mm. She's only been back knocking around so, work for a couple of days. So the first fortnight basically was lost to the Queen's death and yeah. the period of national mourning and then she went to the United Nations where you were last yeah. week. So she's only really been like had her feet under the desk at number 10 doing domestic stuff for basically a week. And, like it's wild right and obviously like we're kind of looking at it from the outside in. It will be no joke if you were living in the UK right now. No, it's really worrying. It's really worrying. There's people like, on this island who are who are living and dying by the economic policies yeah. of Liz Truss and and and, and Mr. Quarteng. Yeah. And it's going to, well, I mean, what impacts will we see here? In the short term, you're going to see a lot of people going across the border mm. for Christmas shopping and to buy 
drink and stuff like that mm. as we've seen it various times where it has been that uncertainty before but really you just wonder where the bottom is on this mm. this like you, you mean you had a, a situation there over Wednesday where the Bank of England intervened in the economic policy uh, of the British government like which is wild like yeah. it is that worth... never happens that yeah. never happens like yeah. uh, we were f- fully respect that that a lot of our viewers or listeners may not be fully up to speed on the way in which all these different institutions work to each other but the Bank, of, it's bad. The Bank yeah. of England is supposed to be an independent thing which yeah. basically makes sure that like the value of the pound is stable over time that is its major function and if the Bank of England has to intervene to basically save the government from itself or to like intervene to insulate the people of Britain from the consequences of their own government's actions. Like that is real, like emerging economy, like third world financial instability, rampant hyperinflation, like Zimbabwe 1990s stuff. Like that's, that's mad. Your central bank shouldn't have to save your own people from the actions of your own government. So like what point does it get to where like she's potentially out on her ear like does it get to government collapse? Do we have and do we see an election in the UK? Like is that oh, you yeah. reckon that's where we're going with this now? I'd say I mean there's probably going to be an election in the UK. Like you can't you can't Starmer's live on with this. Absolutely like warm buzzing for this I'd say. The only thing about she's it kind is kind of handing it to him. Well, the only thing that's is that acceptance. you kind of have to like an election will only be called if basically the party falls apart from underneath her. Like if there's enough of a rebellion where the Tories basically can no longer govern. And you can't be absolutely convinced that that will happen because there are so many people within the Conservative Party who will say that the rising cost of interest rates for the British government to borrow. There's a lot of people who have convinced themselves that's nothing to do with what the government did last week. They've convinced themselves that the bond markets now basically expect Keir Starmer to be the next Prime Minister and that they're pricing in the economic disaster that will unfold under him. Like which which is like is is delusional at best. But they've convinced themselves that the markets are reacting to a thing that a future government might do rather than a thing that their actual government did last week, this uncosted tax cut for millionaires, mm. you know? Just reading some of the quotes here, a number of Tory MPs have been up in arms about the reverberation since uh, this whole thing unfolded. Uh, one Conservative said, I thought Boris's cabinet was the worst in history. This one's just beaten it. It's, it's after three weeks. <laughs> after three weeks. I, I actually think that one of, the most, one of the most interesting things which um, somebody <laughs> pointed out was, if this had happened, it, it shows a lot in the way that Britain has fallen on the global stage. If this had happened, you had such a fall in the pound and, you know, the, the bond deals went the way that they would in a previous Britain, mm. maybe go back even 10 years ago, 15 years ago. It shows that Britain is no longer a centrepiece economy in the world scale. Where This isn't like where Britain catches the cold in the world falls to bits as well. Mm. Everywhere else is doing all right here. Mm, yeah. In comparison, as well as, even though this is happening and you have a full-fledged mm. crisis, FUBAR crisis. I mean, if you're putting it in, 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 in words, I mean, the Brits are at it again and it is absolute total meltdown. Um, and it's just, it's, it's unbelievable to watch. But the most interesting thing I find is how little it seems to be bothering the wider world. What is the scandal in the world of chess? Oh, chess cheats. This is amazing. Cheat or not cheat? What's the so so? What's the thought process on this? So guy? the world chess champion right now is a guy who I think is only about thirty years old, and he's been the world chess champion for ten years. He's this Norwegian wonder kid called Magnus Carlsen. He is basically untouchable. Basically, no one has been able to really lay a finger on him for ten years. He has the highest like statistical ranking of any player in the history of the game ever. Okay. Like this guy is incredible, um, to the point where he's not even going to bother defending his world chess title next year because there's no worthy challengers. That's the level that he's kind of at. Mm. And he was playing a tournament in the United States uh, a couple of weeks ago where he was up against a 19-year-old 
online chess wizard and twitcher, this guy called Hans Niemann. How old is Hans Niemann? Hans Niemann is 19 years old. Now, it's not unthinkable that a 19-year-old could beat uh, like the world champion in a one-off not. game because all, all their championship games are played over a series of 12 or 16 games. So you could, you could beat them one-off and it happens. But this guy played so dramatically well a couple of weeks ago that everyone was like, hang on, what's happened here? Like, Magnus Harrelson is getting his backside handed to him. And no one could really understand how this guy had suddenly become so depth that he had, like, clobbered Magnus Carlsen. Um, and that was sort of suspicious enough in its own right. But there the story ended because it's a one-off game and no, no big deal. Until the same two players then met in an online tournament a week later. Mm. Magnus Carlsen makes one move and then basically does the chess equivalent of like a FIFA rage quit where like you're losing and, Pulls you, the plug. and you basically you pull the plug. You basically log off, like shut the lid of the laptop and walk off. And everyone's like, why, oh, hang on. Why do that? Because basically he wasn't able to say it at the time, but he has said it since that he's accused this guy of being a cheat. Now he has a bit of a record of being a cheat because he's admitted to being as a teenager when he's playing his online games having another laptop where you have like a chess engine which figures out statistically the best uh, uh, well, I was wondering how you do but, cheat but how, chess. Do you, but how okay. do you do that in person which is how he beat Carlson first time around and this is what's made it sort of cross over into the uh, real world say, I'm so glad this is a late night TV show because we couldn't be doing this before night because this is, a, this is a post watershed <laughs> bit right now there is a growing body of evidence or a growing suspicion that Magnus Carlsen was beaten by this 19-year-old because the 19-year-old had the benefit of something up his back passage to tell him what the best moves were. And how would it tell him that? Because it is standard practice in these in-person tournaments for the elite players to have a team of what they call seconds, basically, in their sort of training camp. And it's possible that those people may have been either deliberating with each other or consulting some sort of online chess engine to figure out what is the best uh, move to make in a given environment. And then to communicate that through vibration signals sent to a device that he may have had uh. in his cavity. And this, uh, this is a... like Okay. Yeah. Right. So... Vibrations Basically, through a device in his bottom. Yes, right. uh, and this. So, but obviously, the the player concerned completely rejects this and is now offered to play again against Magnus Carlsen in the buff to prove that he doesn't have any sort of you know totally naked. Totally naked. It's gotten to the point where the chess world could possibly now see the world champion, this kind of deposed fringe naked world chess. champion, playing against a guy sitting naked in order to prove that it's possible for this guy to be beaten by this 19-year-old serial cheat. Theoretically, there's got to be easier ways of cheating I don't want to see that, though. I feel like it's not something... I actually would watch this. You would watch that, okay. Like, listen, no one wants to see... I'm a man for a big event. No one wants to see Carlton play Nepo or Fabian Caranua again, but if you want to see him play a 19-year-old naked guy, that's the thing that's going to make chess go mainstream. You wouldn't have caught it off Gary Kasparov, anyway. No. He's telling me that you were in the chess club at school. I feel like you were... I was not in the chess club at school. I'm actually ter I'm terrible at chess, but too admire chess. That's too too busy like on a musical scholarship going off to play church organ actually, so never the chance, yeah. Are you in the chess club? What do you think? No. <laughs> <laughs> For the sake of balance, are were you in the chess club? No. Okay. No, no, was, Checkers is a better game. <laughs> True game of strategy. Okay, well, listen, thank you very much uh, for joining us again this week. Thank you to Gareth, Killian, and Maxine who work on the podcast. Gareth is waving at us because we're totally out of time. Uh, thank you to the minister for coming in. Thank you to both of you, Gavin Riley. Thank you, Zara. Richard Chambers. Thank you very much, Zara. We'll do it all again next week. Bye. Bye.